Welcome back to the Open Mic Podcast. Somebody tell the Atlanta Braves it is Sunday, May 1st at 9 o'clock p.m. as I'm recording this uh, because they need to wake up. Got a busy show for you today. Uh, a lot to talk about. Talk about. I'm not sure if I'm going to get to all of it because my phone is currently at 5%. Um, I tried my best of not procrastinating this week because that's exactly why I'm recording now. But the problem is I didn't even look bother to look at what my phone was until I was ready to sit down and do this. So going to try to cram everything in as quickly as I can. Uh, first, starting off with the Braves continuing to struggle. They called up Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, earlier in the week. And then he went on to play an entire game, the last game in the series against the Cubs, I believe it was. But then he had a day off the first day when they were in Texas, and then he went on the DH the next two days against the Rangers. So what he had off Friday and then DH'd Saturday and Sunday. And the, the, the logic behind that was because it was the turf and, like, you didn't know how his knee was going to react on the turf. And then my question is, then what the heck was – why call him up? Why not have him stay in Gwinnett and play three full games on grass and then just have him come up to New York, have him meet you in New York? Like the, I, I can't doubt Alex Anthopoulos because of what the what he did last year and what he's kind of done so far with the Braves, but it's just like the, the logic between or behind Ronald Acuna Jr. right now just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Uh, I understand calling him up because Rosario goes down on the uh, – Injured list. I still don't like calling it that. Um, but he goes to the injured list because of his um, eye problem that we'll get into here in a little bit. But why why call Ronald up and not actually use him to his full extent? That just that just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but uh, but yeah, to to Eddie Rosario. Um, unfortunately, he's expected to be out eight to twelve weeks. Apparently, he's got blurred vision and swelling in his right eye, uh, and that would explain why he's hitting 068 on the year. Um, I had kind of called him out in my episode last week, and then like two minutes after I fin- or finished editing and uploading, I found out that he's going to the aisle because of that, and so I felt terrible, and so I really didn't um, really didn't market uh, or promote, rather, my – last mic drop because of that because it's just like had i known that obviously i wouldn't have said any of that so my apologies to eddie rosario there not that he actually watches this but my apologies to eddie rosario there um hopefully he'll get that taken care of it won't be anything serious but he'll be ready to go two three months um and hopefully be the lift that or hopefully can lift atlanta even further once he gets back and being close to how he was uh, second half of the year, late in the year for Atlanta last year. Um, Atlanta did win their first series of the year, finally, taking two out of the three from the Cubs, but then proceeded to lose two of three uh, to the Rangers. And right now they're just they're just not playing not playing good baseball. Um, they could have swept the Cubs, uh, but I think they had bases loaded in the bottom of the eighth and they couldn't get another run in after Dansby had tied them up um, and then proceeded to lose – and extras. Um, I am not really convinced this is a World Series hangover, uh, and I say that because this is this is a different team. There's no Jorge Soler. There's no Jock Peterson. There's no Freddie Freeman. 
Um, you've theoretically added Marcelo Zuna, and then you've added Ronald Acuna, uh, so to speak, um, and then obviously really added Matt Olson. Uh, and so you've got basically, not to the full extent, but you've basically got three new guys that weren't on the World Series team at when the team won the World Series. Um, you lost three guys that did help you win the World Series, and then you've still got the back end of the bullpen that's still doing their job. They're still holding up their end of the bargain. Yeah, Matzik gave up a three-run bomb um, in extras the other day, but, I mean, you get to extras and, like, it, extra innings is crap shooting. Like, you don't know what the heck's going to happen out there. And, like, you screw up one time, it looks bad. And so I don't really I don't really put that on Matzik because I had the Braves come through even more so in the eighth when they had the opportunity, Matzik would have never been put in that opportunity or never been put in that situation. Um, and then you've got Max Freed who continues to do his job. Uh, he's pitching like the ace or has been the past couple t- outings that he's been out. And nobody else is really doing it. I mean, they're hitting 227 as a team. They're third in the league in the major leagues when it comes to home runs, but they're 19th. And runs batting in and runs batted in, so they're not doing a good job of runners in scoring position or getting people on for that for that point. Uh, but then the pitching staff, the pitching staff is just the late like I said, the late inning guys are doing well. Max Fried's doing well, but the pitching staff has the fourth most walks in the major leagues. That's they're they're averaging three point seven walks a game. They've hit the six most batters. Um, like they're just giving far too many free passes. Uh, they do have the 11th best average against. Well, I mean, that's nothing to write home about. And you get rid of those free passes, knock some of those down, and you're one of the top 10 staffs in the league. And so, you know, it's you got to hope that they'll figure it out. But, like, this division so far through April uh, isn't being as easy as it was last year. The Mets are taking full control of first place. They're one of the best teams in all of baseball. The Phillies can swing it. Um, the Braves right now are only ahead of the Nats, and that's that's not good. Uh, the Braves are now 10-13. and 13. They've only won one series on the year. Like they're, And then they've got the Mets coming up uh, starting Monday. Uh, and so I won't even know how that game goes by the time this actually gets – done and so the Braves are going to have their hands full going forward and you've got to you're going to have to take advantage of those games against the Met, against the Mets and not dig yourself into a hole. I think they've got four games in three days against them. I don't know why the heck they have that. That makes absolutely one of the days is a doubleheader. What are, why are we already playing a doubleheader? Is this because Rob Manfred tried shoving 162 games? Man, I hate Rob Manfred. That's another podcast for another day. Um Excuse me, I don't hate Rob Manfred. I hate Rob Manfred as the commissioner of Major League Baseball because he's worthless. Um, but that's enough on the Braves. We're seven minutes in. i got to try to keep this under 20 so that my phone doesn't die. Uh, Cur- to Carolina basketball, Kerwin Walton is transferring. I saw early in the week that I could be wrong, but I could have swore early in the week I saw that he was entering the draft process for NBA feedback and that was mind-boggling to me because I think his feedback would be like, dude, like your your defense is horrendous. Your defense is is about as good as a traffic cone, uh, and you didn't shoot the ball well this year. So, you know, maybe maybe learn how to play defense, uh, and then you'll be able to get on the court a little bit more. Um, but he's transferring, uh, which honestly doesn't. 
doesn't surprise me. He started one game this year after starting 20 last year. Uh, like I said, he was a defensive liability. He struggled to shoot this year because of his, uh, the lack of playing time. I enjoyed watching him last year. I thought that when you got that kid got the ball in his hands, like you knew it was going in. Um, and he just didn't show that this year, and I think that is because he didn't didn't get a lot of playing time. I do wish him nothing but the best. I hate to see him go. Completely understand it though. Um, and so, wish Carwin Walton the best, but he's. I don't see him getting any. He's going to have to improve a lot to get some playing time on this Carolina team um, because he's not starting over RJ or Caleb. Uh, he's not going to see playing time over Dontre Styles or Puff Johnson. And then you've got apparently some decent freshmen coming in too. And then you've got a DeMarco Dunn who's going to have a year under him. So he's he's got some people in front of him that I highly doubt that he would overtake. And now on to um, some football news. Uh, the basketball news is pretty short. There's really nothing to report there other than, I guess, that GG guy – whoever he is, um, committed to Carolina. I know nothing about recruits. Don't ask me to analyze recruits uh, at all. But that's, I mean, he's not even going to be there until 2022, 2023. No, this year's 2022, 2023. So 2020, what the heck year is it? It is 2022. So, yeah, he's not even going to be there until not this year, but the next year. Um, so, like, there's no point in even, in my opinion, talking about it. Um, NFL draft news. Sam Howe uh, was selected in the fifth round by the Washington Redskins. Excuse me, football. No, commanders. Um, the commanders didn't really see how dropping to the fifth round. Um, there obviously was a drop in production from 2020 to 2021, but I think anybody that like actually paid attention to what happened would expect that. Uh, and I am calling out, I won't call her by name, but I am calling out an individual that I actually had this argument with earlier today. Uh, that, that she said that Hal was extremely inconsistent and just wasn't good this year. And it's like, all right, so the dude ran for 828 yards, had 11 touchdowns rushing, and then threw for over 3,000 with 24 touchdowns, nine interceptions with a 62.5% completion percentage. Well, no, that's not great. Those passing numbers um, are fifth best in the ACC, and uh, oddly enough, in front of Sam Hartman, uh, who's at Wake Forest, and Sam Hartman is gross, and Sam Howe had a better uh, statistic from a completion percentage-wise and, uh, yeah, completion percentage-wise had a better year than he did. Uh, Hartman was down to like 58. Uh, and then the, if you look at, if you look at the top five receivers that Howell was throwing to in 2020 in 2020 and compare them to the top five receivers in 2021, uh, there are no similarities, none whatsoever. How basically had to start from scratch this year. And I don't care how good you are, you're supposed to be. I think that's a tough ask for anybody that didn't change teams. And notice I said didn't change teams because Tom Brady is obviously Tom Brady and he's going to put up good numbers wherever he goes to. But Sam Howell lost Dwami Brown to the to the draft. He lost uh, Daz Newsom to graduation. He lost Choffrey Brown to basically, I don't know what the heck he did. He just ended up transferring, but he only had one catch. 
this year before he transferred. Uh, and then Javante Williams and Michael Carter were the other two top receivers for him. Those guys were in the draft too. And so what I think Garrett Walston might have been thrown in there, but Garrett Walston – no, Garrett Walston was like sixth. And Garrett Walston was maybe third this year or fourth this year. Uh, and so – like what are what are we talking about here? That's a completely different receiving core all the way around. He lost a ton of help on offense, and his offensive line didn't help him out at all, which is weird. And well, actually, no, I'll get to that later. But so, of course, he's gonna, of course, he's gonna have a drop in production, and it wouldn't have done him any favors coming back for or this year because Mac Brown said after the spring that wide receiver is a an area of concern for Carolina this year. And that's really not good when they're trying to start with a new quarterback. And so, because they're going to – teams are probably going to double-team Josh Downs. They're not going to let him get over the top. And when you do that, you're going to force them to – force Carolina to try to find other receivers. And right now, I don't – right now, it doesn't seem like Carolina has any. And if you if you can't have a good year with Sam Howe as your quarterback, then I think that's more of a reflection on you than it is on Sam Howe. Um, not saying that Sam was perfect. I think there are some times where Sam took some uh, took sacks that he shouldn't have, and maybe tried to force the ball a couple times. Um, but Sam Howell still had a pretty good year. Uh, no, it wasn't as good as 2020. But when you look at what he lost compared to this year, Carolina still had one of the best offenses in the nation. That's it's not all on him, uh, and so. Uh, I highly doubt that he'll start for Washington immediately as I think they traded for Carson Wentz this offseason, but that's that's probably a good thing. Um, QBs that have been thrown in immediately recently uh, have had mixed success. Um, Joe Burrow obviously tore his ACL, but then went on to shine in year two. Justin Fields looked like uh, not good. Uh, Trey Lance, is that the dude's name? Whoever the dude is for San Francisco wasn't very good. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any more. And there's a couple others that just – and so it's probably not a bad idea for Sam to kind of be drafted in that fifth-round spot because then there's not going to be immediate pressure placed on him and immediate um, push for him to be thrown up there. But I do think that means that his work's going to be cut out for him because he's still got to be Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke um, for a starting spot. And Taylor Heineke, um, I don't know what to expect from that dude. That dude will shine one day and then struggle the next. But this uh, particular next comment will is strictly meant for, not really, but mainly meant for my father-in-law. Um, but, Bob, go watch highlights of Sam Howell to Wami to Dwami Brown in college and hopefully they'll be doing the same thing in the NFL soon for uh, whoever the Washington NFL team is now. Um, Carolina had two offensive linemen drafted and that is mind-boggling to me. How is one of the worst offensive lines in the nation getting two guys drafted and then they had another guy sign as an undrafted free agent. I tried looking up um, offensive line stats, like specific individual offensive line stats real quick, and I couldn't find any. I guess NCAA football 2013 is the only one that did that. But this team gave up some of the, I think, close to the most sacks 
in college, and they had three dudes, two of them get drafted and one signed with an undrafted free agent deal? Like, what? what is that? How was how the NFL being like, yeah, like that's just coaching, this dude's good? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. And that that's why I was calling for the offensive line coach's head earlier in the year because apparently we were supposed to have talent and they just got pushed around like a bunch of ragdolls. Um, but he's Georgia's problem now, so Georgia, have fun with that. You'll still get guys drafted, but they won't be able to block um, won't be able to block anything. And then last but not least, the football team picked up two transfers from Ohio State. And that sounds wonderful until you take into account what Nick Saban has. I've heard Nick Saban say one time when he was asked about all the people that were leaving Alabama via the transfer portal. And he basically said the good ones aren't transferring. And that's what I'm afraid of here. It sounds great to get a transfer from Ohio State. It absolutely does. I don't know. And look, I don't know how these guys are. They could come to Carolina and just be absolute studs. I don't know. But. Don't put a lot of pressure on these guys because they're Ohio State. Don't expect a lot because they're coming from Ohio State because one of them uh, is a defensive lineman transferred in. He's still got three years of eligibility. I believe he got hurt his true freshman year, and then he played in five games this year and had three tackles. And then the other guy is a friend of Armando Baycott. I have no idea how to pronounce this guy's name, so I'm not even going to try it. Uh, he's a defensive back, a former four-star recruit that struggled to earn playing time. And look, that's obviously because Ohio State gets the best of the best. But like, it, when when I'm here, when you hear transfer from Ohio State, you're immediately thinking impact player. You're, but you're lucky. You're really lucky when you get a guy like Joe Burrow transferring from Ohio State, and I don't necessarily see that happening here because Joe Burrow is lightning in a bottle. Um, who knows? Maybe these guys can come in, add some depth depth, uh, and play really well for Carolina and be significant impact or impact players for Carolina. I hope they are. Uh, but I, I think hearing football picks up two transfers from Ohio State can be rather, rather deceiving. That is it today uh like i said i got a that was thankfully i was able to cram all that in we're running at about 19 20 minutes now uh and so phone hasn't died yet so i better wrap this up before it does uh but remember to follow the show on instagram at the open mic pod facebook at the open mic podcast with mikey morrison as well as twitter although i will admit that i'm not as active on there but you can catch the video version of the show on uh youtube and facebook uh, I try to post some clips on to Instagram now as well because they changed up like their video stuff so I don't do as much as the full video on there. And then the audio is on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, other than that, have a great week and I will talk to you next Tuesday.